across the UK. Overnights with Martin Kellner. Please do join in at home. Uh, this is uh, the Argentina side has returned home, you know, in this international uh, round of fixtures. And it's a triumphant homecoming everywhere in Argentina. You'll hear this tune. In Argentina, nací, Uh, that's a theme song. That's a theme song for Argentina. I do believe there was a mention of the Malvinas in there. Oh, uh, we'll, we'll we'll find out for sure in a moment because uh, we're joined by uh, John Bonfilio from Campeche in Mexico, our Latin American specialist. Uh, John, thank you ever so much for joining us. No problem at all. You're absolutely right. Fourth line, first verse. It refers to Los Pibes de Malvinas, the young men of the Falklands which refers to the soldiers that were sent to their, uh, to their death. It's interesting because, to some extent, before Argentina won this last World Cup, this song was regarded as a kind of a, an anthem to footballing and to national ghosts. So it's kind of no surprise, really, that it refers to Diego Maradona, of course, even Diego's mum, and to the soldiers that lost their lives in, in the Falklands. It's almost uh, a bit like football's coming home. It's an anthem to you know, potential and past glories, uh, except for the fact that this time they won. Yes, they did. And uh, congratulations to them. And they a well-deserved success uh, for Argentina in the World Cup. Just on the Malvinas, I mean, it was General Galtieri that sent them to their deaths. Uh, and it was a military dictatorship in Argentina. You wouldn't think they'd look back with any sort of nostalgia or fondness to that time because it was clearly a folly, wasn't it? It was, and, and everybody really knows it. But at the same time, as, as so often in Latin America, multiple things can be true at once. So people can know that about what took place, but at the same time, they can still believe and think that the Falkland Islands you know, rightly belongs to them. It's really not that far off the coast, uh, of course, and you know, long history of struggle. And to a significant extent, part of Argentina's self-definition is, again, to these ghosts that we're talking about, you know, the ghosts of national greatness, which almost every country has, one of those emblematic ghosts, phantoms, is this perceived couple of islands, few islands mm. off the coast of Argentina that, that at some point in the future will return to them and be uh, reunified. Another really, uh, com- on a completely different note, one of the interesting things about this song is this song was actually released in the 90s. Again, like Football's Coming Home, it was a, uh, a really famous emblematic song at the time released by this group or this singer called La Mosca, The Fly, which is also interesting because the guy actually does look like a fly to the extent that <laughs> not only does his head shaped, he's bald and his head is shaped like a fly, but he actually wears these massive black glasses which encourage you know, the demeanour of, uh, of, of, of him appearing to be a fly. And then it sort of fell out of 
fell out of favor despite being so popular at the time. And then a couple of years ago, a religious school teacher in Buenos Aires changed the lyrics. Uh, initially, the lyrics were, tonight, guys, I'm going to get drunk to forget her love. But now, 25 years later, it's tonight, guys, we start to believe again. Uh, and this absolutely caught the public attention. It reached the public uh, recognition and everybody got behind it. And then um, at the match at Wembley, when Italy and Argentina played off, you know, the European champions versus mm. the, the Copa America champions, the players actually sang that. And then just prior to the World Cup, Leo Messi actually admitted that it was his favorite song. And at that point, it really lit the touch paper and everybody absolutely uh, got behind it. And as they got, as Argentina got through the rounds, it became, you know, bigger and bigger and bigger to the extent that this is now the de facto footballing, not even footballing, national anthem for Argentina mm. and is now regularly played all over the place. There was a, a national anthem at a classical concert uh, which took place in Buenos Aires a couple of weeks ago where the national anthems segued directly into Muchachos. It's kind of replaced the national anthem for I think the we seminal can... importance. Yeah, I think we can hear that, that little bit from the classical concert. Let's have a quick listen to it. was uh, Muchachas, played by uh, an orchestra in full uh, full evening dress. Um, yeah, Muchachas, they love it. It's very catchy. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Catchy. It is very catchy. Mm. Annoyingly catchy. Annoyingly so, yeah. I'm going to be singing that for the rest of the show. Um, now, uh, I suppose one of the big pieces of news from uh, Latin America, and we've uh, spoken about him a fair bit, and the fact that he was in uh, Florida. He's now back. Uh, Bolsonaro returns. He's, he is back. I'm struggling. If you think of, I, I sometimes think of news cycles in, in terms of the Star Wars films, you know, what takes place, who comes back, revenge and so on. But I struggle to really work out which particular film, The Return of Bolsonaro uh, to Brazil is. He, he, he arrived back Thursday morning, uh, very little in the way of trailing of it. He suddenly... Uh, decided he was going to get on a plane and arrive back. And one of the big unanswered questions about it is why now? I mean, it's actually the national, international national media haven't really dealt with this because there was no, you know, no preamble to this at all. And him going back, I mean, at any point, but now is him having to deal with a whole heap of trouble, in particular legal trouble and likely court cases related mm. to his having, you know, potentially having incited riots, false claims of election fraud, his role or absence of role in dealing with a pandemic as as president, non-declaration of very expensive gifts by the Saudi, and, Saudi Arabian uh, uh, government and princes. Uh, and so, so it's really not clear to, um, why or how this is taking place. It's been presented as something of a uh, sort of him going back to potentially lead the opposition against the left-wing Lula da Silva. But I suspect there's more happening behind the scenes there, potentially even related to the U.S. government having sort of got involved and, and pushed him away. Because if we remember contextually, he actually got to the U.S., got to Miami whilst he was still president. He arrived on, a, on the presidential plane on a diplomatic passport and then basically overstayed into a tourist visa. And that, this became a massive uh, national embarrassment for the for the U.S. as though they were sort of holding, allowing this uh, this uh, fleeing president um, um, to exist very happily on their shores. Also interesting, one other thing to add is that he has, one of the things he has stated on Return to Brazil is that he would like to remodel, remodel Brazil 
in the uh, in the mold of Florida. He says that Florida is the way forward, and that's what uh, he wants Brazil to be in the future. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you know, you say he's facing all these troubles, legal troubles, etc. It's very much mirroring Trump as he's sort of done all along. It's, it actually is almost. I mean, I know we spoke about this. Or we have spoken about this many times about whether it's you know who he is, how he is, how he uh, is bluster, how he speaks, how he turns, you know, how he, uh, he he defends uh, to accusations with accusations in return so on and then of course we had you know the the insurgency that took place which completely mirrored almost to the day what took place on the capital and now the whole legal cases that are taking place again com- almost completely you know bizarrely uh, strangely mirror trump blow for blow yeah, absolutely. But still a lot of support for Bolsonaro. I mean, as far as I, uh, well, I just read this in the Times earlier in the week that there were lots of ardent supporters um, at the airport to greet him, cloaked in Brazilian flags. They sang songs, chanted legend, etc. as they waited for him to emerge. So still got a certain amount of support. A lot of support. I mean, yeah, one of the chants at the airport was the captain is back. Long live the, the captain. And and contextually, it's worth remembering that it was the closest election in Brazilian history. And everybody who didn't vote for one candidate uh, or hates the other candidate and loves fervently their candidate. And it's one of those cliches that we say we speak about these days about, you know, a torn society, polarized society. But how that plays out on a day to day basis is it, it, the, um, the tension really heightened. We talk about political tension a lot, but social tension. I mean, a lot of people don't talk about politics now because of what it what it causes what it engenders and equally the same number of people deliberately talk about it all the time and um the the politicization of certain things like the brazilian you know the yellow and green brazilian shirt now the right has adopted as a signifier of support for for bolsonaro uh, and and a critique of, of lula so you know where there was i guess uh, sort of uh, agreement uh, sort of center ground in brazil over the the last 20 years or so a couple of generations maybe that is now completely absent mm. yeah uh, and in the uk actually to be to be honest about it um let's talk about horses we we've got a lot of uh, i don't say we're particular horse lovers but a lot of horse racing fans uh listen to the show um but the you know we, we always think of the the horse as uh, I suppose um, uh, like an Egyptian thing or something from North America but Latin America too has a um, quite a colourful history um, with the horse yeah I mean I think all of the Americas really it's almost the most important emblematic uh, animal in the Americas as you say it, it, if you think about the US and to a lesser extent Canada it basically is the you know the animal which symbolizes the frontier and freedom still to this day here in, in Latin America, it's a little bit different because it's more related to the conquest here. You know, the conquistadors arrived on horseback. It's actually one of the things that made them uh, made them so indomitable at the time, because the fact that they were on horseback made them uh, made people assume, perceive them to be gods. And that, along with disease, was one of the two biggest indicators or, or reasons why. Uh, the Spanish conquistadors won so easily. But um, it was generally perceived that the horses had arrived with the conquistadors and actually only began to exist in amongst native nations in the late 17th century uh, around one particular revolt in what is now New Mexico, the Pueblo 
revolt where the Spanish mm. conquistadors were roundly defeated. Uh, but actually what this new uh, study in science reveals is that there's actually a horse presence in indigenous communities much earlier. And what it seems to be telling us, which in a way we sort of knew anyway, is that commerce preceded the, the advancing armies by about 70 or 80 years, by three generations. And uh, I, I mean, in a way, remarkable, but it also it shouldn't surprise us that uh, wherever there's been a buck to be made, the people have gone out way ahead of, you know, um, conflict advancing armies um, to, to, to get that to get that item sold. And it also made me think like here in Latin America, you can go to the most remote places uh, in the region where there are no roads, no electricity grids or anything. And you will still Coca-Cola will still find a way to be sold. Satellite dishes will still find a way to exist and be sold even where there is no uh, electricity and it's one of those you know one of those things that uh, the uh, nature abhors a vacuum i guess that uh, these systems that develop outside of existing developed systems is remarkable yeah absolutely i remember uh, going on a drive through uh, india a few years back and uh, we went, you know, so we're right in rural India and people were living in um, sort of prefabs, you know, sort of uh, corrugated iron, well, huts, really. And I was looking into, as, as we drove past, I looked into one of the huts and they were watching Sky Sports. I thought that is unbelievable, but it, it sort of, you know, because there was nothing, nothing there. It was uh, really primitive um, third world time. Type, uh, atmosphere, but they did have Sky Sports, so presumably you, a satellite you, dish somewhere. You're absolutely right. And actually, a linguist uh, friend of mine, when I asked her a few months ago, what's the biggest threat to indigenous communities and indigenous languages today? She said satellite television, because suddenly what you've got is um, satellite television in a single language here, Spanish, broadcast into the heart of a family that would ordinarily be speaking their own indigenous uh, language day to day, you know, with the grandmother and the grandkids and so on. And yeah. suddenly you've got this Spanish overtaking uh, all communication at the very center at the heart of the house. And she says that's the biggest threat to indigenous languages uh, internationally today. Yeah. Um, John, as always, thank you uh, ever so much. Do appreciate it. And we'll uh, we'll talk again next week. No problem. Take care. Good man. There we go. John Bonfilio uh, joining us from uh, Campeche in Mexico. Have a look at uh, Latin America. Um, we're going to look at the